Um, if we haven't met yet, my name is Jordan Howell. I'm on staff here with Salt Company. Um, grateful you you joined us tonight. And there's there's no easy way to turn the corner here. Um, so I'm just going to turn the corner. And I want you to know that the conversation tonight on race doesn't even end here. We're going to do what during the year we called a late a late night. It won't really be that late because we started at seven o'clock tonight. But um, after this, I plead with you to stick around, okay? Um, good friend, brother Will Cook, who is a member. Yeah, shout out Will. Let's go give a woo woo. Um, he's here with us. Um, has man, been super gracious and is giving up time with family uh, to be here with us and to speak truth into this situation. So please, unless your apartment is burning down or you have like a really serious commitment to, to go to after this, stick around. And this is your first step in getting educated and listening and learning, okay? Um, that being said, we're going we're gonna to dig into the word tonight. All right, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead, pull it out. Uh, if you have your smartphone, go ahead, pull it out. Don't scroll on Instagram. Um, get on your Bible app. Um, go ahead, flip to Matthew chapter 7. Tonight, uh, we're kicking off our summer series. It's called Twisted Scripture. And what you can expect this summer is we are going to spend nine weeks looking at different quotes or phrases that you have heard in might be in the Bible, <laughs> or they might be paraphrasing what is something from the Bible, but is being taken out of context, okay? So what we're doing is we're taking these quote-unquote Christian phrases, and we're saying, no, this is what the Bible really says. This is what the verse says, and this is what it means within the actual context of Scripture, all right? Sound good? We're going to have fun, yeah. Um, I, I do need to preface this we sat in teachers meeting. We do this uh, every week. We sit down with a bunch of guys in the room and say, hey, here's my sermon. Rip it apart. And the first thing Jake each says to me, uh, he says, hey, this isn't based off that heretical book that was issued last year, is it? <laughs> I'm like, uh, I haven't heard of it. So I'm going to preface this by saying our series is called Twisted Scripture. It just so happens to be the name of a book written by a heretic. Don't read that book, Okay read this book. This is the book that our sermon series is based off of. This is the book that our sermons are based off of. We are going to look at the Bible. All right. You guys good with that? Amen. Sweet. All right. Uh, Matthew 7. We're starting out with a, a doozy here. Judge not that you be not judged. How many of you guys have heard that before? If you're not raising your hand, you're lying. I promise you that. Uh, every single person, I would assume, hate to assume. 95% um, of America knows judge not that you be not judged is in the Bible. Whether they believe in Jesus or not, they've heard that and they've probably said that, right? Judge not that you be not judged. And most frequently, it is actually used by non-believers, people that don't even believe in the word of God as authority, to say Christians are judgmental. Christians are bigoted. Christians are harsh. Uh, Christians are hypocrites. And man, I hate to say this, they can be right, right? Like, if we're being honest, I know people in my close social circle that 
fail to follow Jesus because they've been burned by someone that claims to follow Jesus. And that's not, that's not right. <laughs> I'm telling you that. But I would say to that person, your faith is in a follower of Jesus, not in Jesus, right? So stop putting your faith in people that are claiming to follow and put your faith in, in the one true king that doesn't fail you. But here's the deal, Saul Company. This, this quote, uh, do not judge that you be not judged, is infiltrating the church. It's infiltrating Christian community and in a way that is actually being taken out of context. So we're going to unpack it tonight. Here's what it's doing to us as Christians. Uh, first, it's changing the way that we receive correction. So we say, man, what are you doing judging me? Right? Someone judges you. You put the wall up right away and you say, who are you to judge me? You, you're jacked up too. How many of you done that? Okay, sweet. Me too. Um, number two, you actually become slow or never offer correction because you have listened to this cultural narrative and you say, man, who am I to judge, right? I got my own problems. And we become silent on issues that matter. Here's the reality. You and me, we don't have an issue with judgment, right? We, know, we actually know judgment is good. Let's, let's look at George Floyd once more, okay? We know that judgment is not a bad thing. We say, a cop is putting his, neck, his knee on the neck of a black man for nine minutes. Is he using sound judgment? No, he's not. We want that cop to use sound judgment. We celebrate judgment in that situation, right? Use your brain. When the news came out that he was charged, right? Not convicted, but charged with murder. We can say, yes. Yes and amen, right? We like judgment because it is actually assessing the situation and saying what is true. I'll lighten it up a little bit, okay? You're going out on a Friday night, and you're asked to do what? Use judgment. Who's your friend group? What are you doing? Where are you going? Are they pushing you towards your goals, or are they holding you back? Are they pushing you towards success? Are they holding you back? Are they pointing you to Jesus, or are they holding you back? You use judgment every day. So, as we look at Matthew 7 tonight, the question is not, do I judge or do I not judge? Because we all know that judgment is good. <laughs> the question is, how do we judge? All right, so we're going to start in Matthew 7, verse 1. do the weird one hand thing. All right. Jesus says, uh, verse one, judge not that you be not judged for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Here's what's going on. Jesus is, uh, he's turning the corner and he's on the home stretch of this section of scripture called the Sermon on the Mount started back in chapter 5, and Jesus started chapter 5. You'll see uh, he withdraws from a crowd and takes his disciples up on a mountain. He says, hey, I'm going to start teaching you about the ethics of the kingdom. I'm going to start teaching you what it looks like to live a life that is pleasing to God, a life that is committed to, to God. But what you'll see by 
the end of Matthew 7 is you'll see that the crowds are reacting. <laughs> so as he's teaching, this crowd is growing. This crowd is going up on the mountain. And by the time we get to chapter 7, verse 1, Jesus is three-fourths of the way done with his teachings. And the, the hyper-religious hypocrites are tuning in. And they've been following along, and there's this, there's this crazy standard of living that Jesus calls his followers to. And these hyper-religious zealots are, are able to look at this, uh, this teaching, and they're able to say, check, check, check. And they're looking around, and they're saying, where are you at, everyone? Look at me, right? I'm doing it. And then we get to 7-1, and Jesus is like, judge not. <laughs> they're like, uh, wait, is he? they probably still thought he wasn't talking to them because they were that caught up in themselves. But he is going after religious hypocrites, right? He's going after the hyper-religious. And so when we look at verse 1, we have to ask the question, what does Jesus mean when he says judge not? Jesus is speaking against rash, harsh, and unjust judgment. What he is saying is not throw out all capability to discern. He's saying, you as a human do not have the right to declare another human guilty before the God of the universe. That's God's job. Amen? Okay. So he's saying, you don't have the right to pronounce another person guilty. And in verse 2, he takes it a step further. He makes this a conditional matter. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Oh, snap. <laughs> Things just got real. Because what I thought was like here and now is going to actually affect me when I'm before the final judge. Um, I'm going to share something with you. I, don't, I hope it's not news to you. We're all going to face a judge someday. We're all going to stand before our God in heaven, and we're going to have to answer. Jesus is pointing people to that, and I got to point us to it. We're all going to stand before a judge, and so I got to ask you, how are you judging people? <laughs> we got we to gotta actually start to think about this. And on top of that, how do you think judgment's going to go for you? Um, I'm going to look just at a few verses from the Sermon on the Mount. I, I worked through it. Um, and I'll just read a few verses to you. They punch me in the gut. Hopefully they punch you too. That's kind of the goal here. Um, 522, Jesus says, I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Everyone who insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. <laughs> um, okay, uh, 528. I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman, or I'll say everyone who looks at a man with lustful intent has already committed adultery. Okay, not a lot of amens. Uh, 6.1, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. <laughs> for, there, for then you will have no reward from your Father who's in heaven. Um, yeah, read through the Sermon on the Mount. It's, it's good for your soul. Um, based on those, I got to just ask the question, how's this playing out for you? Right? You're, you and me, we're going to stand before a final judge. And I'm not saying this is scare tactics, but like we're going to stand before a holy and perfect God. 
And we got an answer to this. When I, when I ask the question, what's my verdict? Guilty. Guilty is my verdict. I look at that and, man, I know my heart well enough. As soon as I think I figure one thing out, I'm screwing up somewhere else. Romans 3, 23 tells me the fact that every single person in this room, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Your verdict is guilty, whether you think it or not. But flip three chapters over, Romans 6, 23. It says the wages of sin is death, okay? So you're not just guilty. Your, your guilt has a death sentence. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know how else to say it. The wages of sin is death. What you earn by your falling short is death. The verse doesn't end there, though, okay? Stick with me. Good news. Gospel means good news. This is good news. The, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Man, like, here's the deal. God so loved the world that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to live the life that you and me couldn't, to die the death that we deserve, and he didn't just die. Three days later, he rose from the dead and declared victory over sin, Satan, and hell. Man, here's the deal. We can, we can stand with our, our verdict before God on our own, and we can, we can say we're guilty, and we're going to get our death sentence. You better believe it. Or we can look to King Jesus, and we can believe not just in our heads, we can believe in our hearts. For those who believe shall not perish, but will have eternal life. That word believe means trust. You can trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That you couldn't measure up, but he did. That you deserve death, but he took your death. And that man, he died and rose again to make you a new creation. You can believe that. And what happens is grace is extended to you. Grace means unmerited favor. It means you can't earn it. But here it is, Christians, Saul Company. Grace is not you escaping your death sentence, but Jesus taking your death sentence. Let me say that again. Grace is not you escaping your death sentence, but Jesus taking your death sentence. Because we serve a God that is just. And man, he wouldn't be a good judge if he just let us off easy. He promised death, and he gave it but he gave it through his one and only son. <laughs> he was pleased to pour out his wrath on his son so that he could reconcile us back to himself. That's costly. And what we can't mix up here is that unconditional love does not mean unconditional acceptance. Because a good judge loves us enough to not let us keep doing what we're doing. <laughs> and he loves us enough to enforce punishment for our good. We have a Father in heaven who sacrifices only Son so that we could walk in freedom. This is pretty easy to understand when we look at what it means to be a good judge, but um, what about a good father, right? Busy traffic, busy intersection. Would a good dad not grab his son's hand <laughs> and not let him run into a busy intersection? Of course he would. Right? That's what good dads do. They, they protect their children. 
would a good friend not be willing to sit down across the living room and tell their faithful friend, alcohol is ruining your life. Bro, this is, this is starting to destroy your relationships. <laughs> it's getting in the way of your future. Of course a good friend would do that. Unconditional love does not mean unconditional acceptance. And we need to hear that when we, when we see this, do not judge. God lovingly judges you from a place of care, compassion, and grace. No one has ever wronged you to the extent that you have wronged your Father in heaven, and he has offered you forgiveness. How are you judging? All right, we're going to turn a corner. Um, quick question. Does anybody know uh, Jesus' profession? Before, yeah, go. Carpenter, how about it? Uh, we're going to see that play out uh, as we move through this text. A um, couple questions for you. First, have you guys heard of the miracle of the blind carpenter? He picked up his hammer and saw. Oh, my gosh. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Hey, got a couple of you. Um, yeah. Sorry. That's bad. Dad jokes. Um, how about the, the carpenter who, who sawed off his left hand? Doctors said he should be all right. Uh, all right. Sweet. Um, yeah. I'm sorry. Most of our staff is not surprised I'm doing this right now. Um, all right. Jesus the carpenter. He continues, uh, he's going to tell us a, a story, paint a little word picture for us. Verses 3 and 4 says, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? Here's the picture, y'all, that Jesus is painting for us. All right. Um, yeah, the blue, that's you. <laughs> um, yeah, you can, you can laugh at it, but that's you. You're the one Jesus is coming at. <laughs> he's pointing the finger at you, and he's saying, what are you doing? You got a log in your eye. You're worried about a little bit of sawdust? What are you doing? But it's interesting how Jesus phrases the question, right? He says, why do you see the speck? That's in your brother's eye. <laughs> um, Jake brought this up in teacher's meeting. He said, why do you have such an issue with what you see? That's what Jesus is asking. Like, what is your big deal with the speck? Because judgment is a mirror, right? We can say that we care a lot about who we're judging, but judgment says more about us than it does the people we're judging. Man, like the religious hypocrites, we can be quick, but our quickness to judge shows our broken egos. Because what judgment does is it breaks other people down to build us up. It gives us this ego and is inward facing. Thinking through just examples, um, you might ask the question, why do they dress like that? But maybe you need to start asking the question, why do I care that they dress like that? Because you might say it's a modesty issue, but really you're bothered because you lack a positive self-image. It's not just, why are they not publicly speaking on this matter, right? We're back on this, on this race issue. You might get really hot and bothered that someone's not talking. Why are they not speaking? But maybe you should be asking the question, why do I not care that they're not speaking on the matter? Because 
you're really less concerned about the matter and you're more concerned about you looking good. Let's start asking better questions to ourselves. Why does the speck bother us? Jesus points the finger at me. He says, Jordan, deal with your own plank. Because what you're doing, focusing on the, on the sawdust in your brother's eye, you're making it about you. This is about self-acceptance and self-love. You're trying to put other people down so that you can start to love yourself. You're starting to put other people down so you can accept yourself. And guess what? I sent Jesus so that you could know that I love you and I accept you. <laughs> You're finding gospel love and gospel acceptance in your judgment, and that's not right. What are the implications then? What are the implications of this? We see Jesus unpack it, verses 5 and 6. You hypocrite, Jordan, you hypocrite. <laughs> First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will clearly see, see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. All right, Jesus does not say, don't judge at all. I'm circling back. Things are coming full circle. He's not saying don't judge at all. He's not saying don't take the speck out. He's saying deal with the plank. <laughs> Deal with your sin issue. Deal with your pride. Deal with your broken ego. And then take the speck out of your brother's eye. A couple other examples for you. We know that speaking the truth to each other is good. Right? If I was about to come up here and preach a message and Kyler sees my fly down, Dude better be telling me, because I don't want to have this entire thing go on with my fly down, right? Like, it would be a loving thing for him to say, hey, your fly is down. Don't, don't embarrass yourself. You're never going to live it down. Maybe a heavier topic. If I were to go to a doctor, and he were to see or feel a tumor, would it be loving for him not to tell me about it? Man, we, we want to say that, like, hey, stay silent. Silent is loving. I'm going to accept you as you are. You're going to accept me with a tumor that's going to kill me? Man, the loving thing for the doctor would be to give me a diagnosis, to tell me what I need to do to, to start fighting. And there's people in your social circle that have the tumor. <laughs> They're on the pathway to hell. They're on the pathway to destruction. I'm not just even talking spiritually, like physically. They're going down a dark road. And it's not loving for you to just sit back and let it happen. You got to take, yeah, deal with your plank, but then let's go. Let's start taking the speck out of their eye. My study Bible had a footnote that I thought was just helpful, so I'm going to quote it. Ultimately, the one who feels grieved and humbled over his own sin can help remove the speck from others, <laughs> right? When you sit under the weight of your own sin, you feel the grief of your own sin, and you experience the grace of God. You are quick to help other people. You are quick, and you are actually more effective in helping other people fight their sin. How many of you have ever, ever had something in your eye before, ever, in the history of existence? Okay. Me too. Stinking hurts, right? <laughs> um, something that's unique about getting something in your eye, and Sabrina's about to leave because she hates eyeballs, so no, I'm just messing. Um, 
Have you ever had something in your eye and you just know it's in there, but you can't see it? <laughs> and then you go to someone, you're like, hey, do I have something in my eye? Has anybody else ever done that? Okay, only me. Okay, good. Um, yeah. Here's the deal. The loving thing is for your friend to help you get it out. But it's going to be uncomfortable because you're going to have to get close. Think about it. You're going to have to touch someone's eye. <laughs> uh, new level of intimacy maybe for you and your friend. Uh, you got to get close and it's going to hurt. But pain comes before healing. And I don't remember, I think it might have been Michael a few weeks ago. He had talked about, like, like this doctor with the tumor, right? He's going to take a scalpel to me, and it's going to hurt, but he's going to get the tumor out, <laughs> and it's going to heal me. Lean in. Christian, lean in. Be the friend that's willing to have a hard conversation, to inflict a little bit of pain for the sake of healing in your brother or sister. We see different verbiage here. Uh, verses 3 through 5 uses the word brother. And then all of a sudden in, in 6, Jesus is talking about dogs and pigs. So what happened? <laughs> uh, I don't know about you. You're like, what? What just happened? Why were we talking about dogs and pigs? Okay, here's what's happening. Jesus is telling people, hey, be discerning about your correction. Because your brother is someone that you have established relationship with. There's someone that trusts you. There's someone that you live life alongside. And he's saying, take the speck out of your brother's eye. But then he says in verse 6, I'll just read it. Don't give dogs what is holy and don't throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. You might love dogs. You might love bacon. But dogs and pigs weren't like great animals back then. They were, I mean, this is an insult. And what Jesus is saying is, how you judge, how you correct a brother is different than someone that's not a brother, okay? So be discerning in how you offer correction. Here's how it might play out for you. If you're in a connection group with somebody and you know that they claim to know, love, and follow Jesus, they're a brother. They're a sister. You are called to correct them, okay? Deal with the plank. Amen. Deal with the plank. And then take the speck out of their eye. Because if they claim to know, love, and follow Jesus, they're missing out on intimacy with Jesus as they're disobedient. And that's not good for them, and you know it. So you got to call them deeper. But if you're out on the streets, if you're on your campus, and you're, you're maybe even friends with this person, but they don't know Jesus or don't even claim to know Jesus, they're not called to the same standard as you. <laughs> because here's the deal. They're blind. And I can't walk up to a blind person and expect them to see. Right? And in the same way, we can't expect non-Christians to act like Christians. And what Jesus is saying here is your correction, your godly correction is, is holy and it's, it's pearls. It's valuable. Okay? Your godly correction is valuable. And what you need to stop doing is wasting your time judging non-Christians and actually spend it on your brother. That's what he's saying. Be discerning on it. 
right? Because for every person that's willing to shoot you down, there's another person that is ready and needing your correction. That's what Jesus is saying. Are we tracking here? Are we good? Okay. As we, as we look at the text as a whole, here is, here's where we land. This is our conclusion. Godly judgment looks in and up before it looks out. Okay? Godly judgment looks in and up before it looks out. Look at yourself. See your sin. See your depravity. See the plank. Take it to Jesus. Take it to Jesus. Earlier I said, Jordan, deal with your plank. No, take it to Jesus. Let Jesus deal with your plank, right? And as you feel the forgiveness, as you feel the grace that God extends you, then move out, right? Then move out. Be one that's willing to offer forgiveness and grace and godly correction to those around us. I'll say it another way. Let God do heart work on you before you do heart work on others. It's, it's an order thing. It's not, it's not one or the other. It's an order thing. Let God do heart work on you before you do heart work on others. Um, graduated from Iowa State in 2014, and I took this class my junior year called Social Psychology. If you are uh, studying psychology, if you're not studying psychology and want to blow money on something that will blow your mind, register for a class called Social Psychology. I promise you it's going to blow your mind. Um, I learned about this social psychological phenomenon, and it's called self-absorption. Weird. Uh, real original. But here's, here's the story. A um, couple freshmen in college, we've all been there. Um, some of you are heading there. Um, freshman in college, guy and a gal, going on a date. All right? Bear with me. I'll, I'll keep it short. Um, freshman wakes up, morning of the date, and what, what happened overnight? Dude's got a huge pimple on his forehead. He's like, oh, man, I got this huge pimple on my head. And he was so stoked to go on this date because he's super into the girl, thinks she's cute, whatever. All right. Um, the girl is driving over uh, to meet up with the guy, and she's, she's rushing, and she's putting mascara on her, eye, on her eyes. And what happens? It gets on her shirt. Oh, she doesn't have a change of shirt. So guy has a pimple on his forehead. Girl has mascara on her shirt. This is the social psychological phenomenon. The dude is so, so like self-absorbed about his zit that he doesn't even see the stain on the girl's shirt. <laughs> and the girl is so self-absorbed about the stain on her shirt that she doesn't even notice the dude's pimple. That is a reality. Y'all, we have experienced that. I promise you, it's real. I long for the day that we would be more self-absorbed with our sin. <laughs> Man, that we would look at our heart, we'd be so caught up in our ability to see our own sin that we're actually starting to miss some of the sins and the people around us. Not because I don't want to see them so I can help them, but because I want to see my own sin so I can take the plank out and be more effective, right? I'm not saying be so self-absorbed that you can't see anything, but like, let's long for the day to be more self-absorbed with our sin. Here's uh, a few applications for you to close the night out. Uh, there is a psalm that I want to turn to. I'm going to do the weird one-hand thing. Psalm 139. David is writing uh, verses 23 and 24. This is what he says. He says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way of the everlasting. Man. 
first way that you can start to apply this message, pray this. Man, God, show me. (laughs) Try me. Make it hard. Point out my blind spots because guess what? I'm a sinner and I need you. But there's sin that exists in my heart that I don't even know of yet. And if you can reveal it to me, I can carve it out. Pray that prayer. And as he shows you the grievous way, let him lead you in the way of the everlasting. (laughs) Right? Repent and believe. Repent of your ways. Say, God, man, I know this is not from you. And I know it's leading me down a path of destruction. But you sent your son Jesus so that I don't have to do this anymore. Right? You set me free, so help me walk in freedom. Repent and believe. And last but not least, value the gospel when it comes to correction. Here's what I mean by that. In offering correction, here's what you need to do. Not crave other people's acceptance. Because the gospel is that Jesus died on a cross so that you could be accepted before your Father in heaven. (laughs) The God that created the cosmos accepts you because of Jesus. You don't have to crave other people's acceptance. And because you don't have to crave other people's acceptance, they don't have to like you. (laughs) I'm not telling you to be a jerk, all right? Don't be a jerk. Um, But don't let other people's acceptance get in the way of giving gospel correction, okay? Receiving correction. This might be even where we need it a little bit more. When you receive correction, know that correction is different than condemnation. Nathan's preaching this upcoming week on Romans 8.1, right? Or, yeah, Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's a truth, you guys. When the woman is caught in adultery, the men bring her before Jesus. Jesus writes something in the, in the sand. We don't know what he wrote, but he wrote something. People start, and he says, hey, whoever is the first, throw the stone. All the men walk away. Jesus looks at the woman. And he says, hey, where's everybody that condemns you? He says, there's but one, Jesus. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. <laughs> okay. It's easy to say that from the stage, but I feel condemned a lot of times when people correct me. Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. So stop letting people's correction feel like condemnation to you. Start asking yourself the question, A, is this true? Right? Seek truth in it. And if it's not true, get over it. Right? You're not condemned by Jesus, so who cares? If they want to correct you, let them correct you, but hear them out. Try and find truth in it, but don't let it, don't let it beat you up. All right. If we would take this seriously, I believe our campuses, our community, and our relationships would look radically different. <clears throat> Man, as we carve out sin, we're going to become more obedient. And as we become more obedient, we're going to be more joyful, <laughs> right? Because there is fullness of joy in the presence of God. And as we walk in the way of the everlasting, we experience him more fully and freely. We're going to be set apart. God calls us to be holy as he is holy. Holy means set apart. We will be set apart from the world around us. People will no longer look at us and say, look at those hypocrites. We won't be known by our hypocrisy. We'll be known by our love, how we love one another, how we love the world around us. 
we'll be quicker to tell people about Jesus. I firmly believe that. We will be quicker to tell people about Jesus because as we experience the grace of God more fully, we will share Jesus more boldly. That is a fact. And we will begin to have more authentic and joyful relationships. We all want one thing, to be fully known and fully loved. You find that in Christ. He's reconciled you, and he's actually called you to be a minister of reconciliation too, right? You can model to someone. You've been fully known and fully loved, and now you can show that to the people around you, what it looks like to fully know them and fully love them. And it allows you to have hard conversations to take the speck out, causes a little pain for long-term healing. Amen?